You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. We cover so many advanced strategies here on the show, from the real estate professional status to short-term rentals, that can be easy to overlook the basics, and the basics still have the potential to save you thousands in taxes. That's why we're going to replay a second session from the 2022 Tax and Legal Summit, where Brandon Hall and Troy Silfies, a tax manager and CPA here at the firm, discuss the basics of tax deductions for real estate investors. We also have a special announcement to make. Over the last year, we've been building the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor brand and believe it aligns with the purpose of the show and the audience we're trying to serve. For those reasons, we will be rebranding the show on Friday, March 11th, and you will see the podcast appear in your feed as the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Podcast. Thanks for being a loyal listener of the show. We look forward to continuing to serve you. And with that said, we'll jump right into today's episode after a quick word from our sponsors. If you're a do-it-yourself landlord managing rental properties, Landlord Studio is made for you. The software helps landlords simplify income and expense tracking. With their easy-to-use app, you can digitize receipts, record income and expenses in real time, generate reports, and even manage leases and tenants. Plus, Landlord Studio makes late rental payments and bank visits a problem of the past with secure online rent collection. Get the rent paid directly to your bank account, and you can even automate rent reminder emails and late payment fees. Landlord Studio is also the best way to stay tax compliant. They offer a range of financial reports, including Schedule E and supplier expense reports designed for tax time. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com CPA and use the coupon code REALESTATECPA at checkout to get 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA and use the code REALESTATECPA to get 25% off your plan today. And without further ado, we'll jump right into today's episode. Troy, go ahead and introduce yourself for our audience. Who are you? What are you all about? Um, and we'll go from there. Uh, thank you, Brandon. Uh, my name is Troy Silfies. Uh, I've been at the Real Estate CPA now for a little, getting close to a year. I've been in a CPA for, uh, in the CPA firm and world for over about over 10 years. So I really enjoyed real estate. It's very, very lucrative. We'll get into it in a little bit. Uh, so I'm excited to be here today and, and talk with all of you. And you are a tax manager at the Real Estate CPA, and, and Troy is definitely a go-to guy at the firm. So I wanted to make sure that he had a session slot here that he could uh, show off his knowledge. So Troy, let's start with a, with an easy softball question here. Why is real estate so beneficial from a tax perspective? Real estate is very beneficial in many ways. So it is, it's a softball question, but there is, it's definitely somewhat convoluted. So what I will say is there's a lot of lucrative opportunities in real estate compared to most industries. There's not that many, uh, but real estate allows a lot of tax deferring options and tax saving opportunities. So there's simple ways for the income tax side, but also real estate income is usually not subject to self-employment taxes or payroll taxes. So that's one way around it. Uh, another great way is what hitting the real estate professional status. And I won't maybe go through all of those details right at this moment, but hitting that status can really open up a lot of opportunities for you. Uh, other, just to hit some notes, the other main items for tax deferred, you can do 1031 exchanges or like-kind exchanges. 
There's also another unused or not as used section, section uh, 721 exchanges. There's qualified opportunity funds and zones. Uh, even personally, just in real estate, you have your section 121 exclusion. So that's your, your home, your, your personal home exclusion for your personal home that you sell and have gains. So there's a lot of different deferred and tax deferred options, tax saving options, as well as we need to get into the deduction side. We'll get into a bit cost segregation studies uh, and bonus depreciation that is allowed. So uh, there's a lot of many lucrative ways within real estate that's kind of opens up the world um, to you and, and to real estate investors to, to really tax plan. And a lot of those ways we're going to be discussing throughout this tax and legal summits. You mentioned a lot of things that are future sessions. Uh, so we're really excited about that. But you did mention one thing that I want to hone in on a little bit. You said that Rental income is not subject to payroll taxes, self-employment taxes. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Like what, what's the implication of that? Why is that a good thing? Um, well, just to go off it is obviously that, that's some very decent savings. So just say you have a construction business. So let's get outside of the, of the real estate industry. And you have that, that income being passed through to you, say it's through a partnership. That gets passed through to you and that's going to be subject to self-employment taxes. So you have to play the employer side and the employee side. So you have 6.2% uh, for Social Security, both sides, employer and employee, so you times that by two, and 1.45% for Medicare. So that's about, I think it's 15.3% total um, self-employment taxes that you're going to pay. So you have $100,000, you're going to pay $15,300 on that taxes for a construction partnership. In real estate, or I should say also plus, your income taxes or whatever your, your marginal income tax rate is. So if you're a real estate um, entity investor, so in that same partnership, you're not construction, now you own five rental properties and it produces 100,000 of income. It is not subject to real estate taxes. So that 15.3%, you don't have to pay on real estate income in this scenario. So that's so, a, it's a huge savings. So, so, so to kind of just rehash, so if you're in business, now you mentioned uh, construction, but this goes really for any business, right? If I'm a real estate agent, broker, property manager, um, you know, if I'm in the if 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 I'm in the business of really doing anything significant, then that's all going to be subject to self-employment income uh, or income taxes, which is a 15.3% tax. But investing in rental real estate is not self-employment earnings, right? So, so you, like you said, Correct. if I have $100,000 from running my CPA firm, $100,000 of net income from running my CPA firm, I'm going to pay that 15.3% tax before I even talk about my marginal tax rate. But if I had $100,000 of net income from my rental portfolio, and this is $100,000 of rental income after all of the expenses, after depreciation, Correct. which we're going to talk about. But if I had $100,000 of net income, from my rental portfolio, then I would not pay that 15.3%. I would not pay that $15,300 tax. So I get to at least avoid that. So right off the bat mm -hmm. there, you know, investing in rental real estate is going to allow you to build income streams that are not subject to social security and Medicare tax. It's much more tax efficient than being a business owner. Well, let, let's talk about one of the big tax deductions that everybody likes to focus on and that is depreciation so give us a rundown of what depreciation is and why it's beneficial to real estate investors sure yeah depreciation is, is a very good area and an area that we should always focus on what i want to just i always throw this out to the new people i speak to 
And some people I get asked for real estate investors, why am I, why is my property being depreciated? I really, I'm investing in, in these real estate properties because of the appreciation of my fair market value. So my, my always response is depreciation is really just a cost recovery method. So just like you would normally do any other, you know, cash expense or for uh, a true expense or insurance, you're going to get that deduction typically right away. For when you buy a full property, you're really just getting a cost recovery method over the deemed life the IRS sets forth. So I just always want to say that, that that's the, really the purpose of this. It may appreciate in fair market value, but it's going to, de going to depreciate it from the cost, the cost basis side. Yeah. A way that I like to explain this is that um, your, your roof, your windows, the components that go into your property are literally going to fall apart over time. And that's what depreciation is meant to track. So carry, carry on with your depreciation explanation. Sure. Uh, absolutely. So uh, just to explain in general, so let's go back. So you buy a million dollar uh, property. That million dollars is great, but not all of it is subject to depreciation. So you take that million dollars, you have to figure out first, split it between land and building. So typically you're, you're buying the land plus whatever the building that is the structure on the on such land or lot. So the, the three kind of main methods is I always, uh, we always bring forth to our clients of how to split out that million dollars. What is land and what is, what is building is one, if you actually get a true appraisal of the property, you can use that appraisal to break out between land and, and building, or we call it improvement value. Or you can uh, use the property tax card. So you want to go on to the county's website or the locality, figure out how it was assessed by the tax assessor for property taxes, and split the improvement value and land value that way. That is probably the most common way because it's, it's usually all public knowledge that you can always reference. Uh, the last method is you can really use is if you use a similar property appraisal uh, within a local um, other building that is a very similar type property or structure and or a similar type property tax card that you can find that if you can't use the other two is usually the, kind of the default um, okay. to go. So that's how you would split between land and building. What I want to say next, and this is where it opens up for more opportunities, is now you have it split. So just say simply in that situation, you have 20% land. So you have $200,000 land. That land does not get depreciated. So there's no expense to that. You'll use that basis for when you sell. But for right now, no depreciation. 800000 Now you can depreciate that amount. But for how long, for how much? That's the question. So if it's residential property, it's 27 and a half years. If it's non-residential or commercial, it's 39 years. That is not very uh, lucrative at first because that's over a straight line basis. So you're recovering at 800000 either over 27 and a half or 39 years. That's obviously a very long time to re recoup some of that expenses. So the one way around that is doing a cost segregation study. The cost segregation study is exactly what, what it sounds like. Is an engineer, if you do a full-blown study, is going to come in and try to segregate the cost of that improvement value of that building to figure out, is some of this building not 27 and a half or 39-year property? Can it be reclassified or segregated to be um, five-year or seven-year property or 15-year property? And what's the reason for that? The reason for that is obviously you're now, instead of taking over 27 and a half or 39 years, you're accelerating that depreciation by either doing a five-year schedule, a seven-year schedule, a 15-year schedule, or 
you can do a lucrative 100% bonus depreciation. So that can really advance a lot of deductions in this situation. So let's talk about an example. Let's say that we have $10,000 of net rental income before depreciation, and we have $8,000 of depreciation. Talk to me about like, how much cash am I actually receiving here? And how does that $8,000 of depreciation kind of come into play? Like, how does that help me? Yeah, that's a very good question. So I always want to always explain cash flow versus tax um, income, right? So that's always going to be different because of depreciation. So in that scenario, you had $10,000 of income, $8,000 of depreciation. The net there is obviously $2,000 of taxable income. But you've got $10,000 in cash flow from the rental. With these, the only, only part we're maybe missing there is any, you know, um, debt costs that if you, if you bought it, you might have to have some mortgage and stuff, which was usually less than depreciation overall and mortgage and interest. But from a cash flow, your cash flow is much higher than what your true taxable income is. This is kind of where the taxable income and cash flow really differ. And that's what really makes it lucrative in real estate. And so even if you were, so, so, so great, great, um, great call on that. So you have $2,000 of taxable income, even though you've received $10,000 of cash flow. And what I always like to think about is my effective tax rate, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about eliminating my income tax, right? It's about over time, over a span of 10 to 20 years, how can I deploy the Warren Buffett method of investing? Warren Buffett pays millions of dollars in taxes, but why is, he, why is it often cited that he pays less than his secretary? Well, it's because his effective tax rate, the total tax that he pays on all of his income is lower. That percentage is lower than his secretary's. And so this is a really good example because I've earned $10,000 of cash flow, but I have $2,000 of taxable income. If I'm in the 37% tax bracket, that's like what? Uh, what is that? <laughs> two, two times three. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. like seven hundred dollars or so. Seven hundred dollars yeah, of that. tax. So, so I've got two thousand dollars of taxable income. Seven hundred dollars of actual tax on that income, uh, on that taxable income. But in reality, it's seven hundred dollars of tax on ten thousand dollars of cash flow. So my effective tax rate, even though I might be in the thirty-seven percent tax bracket, my effective tax rate on this income stream is seven percent thanks to depreciation so depreciation is tax sheltering this for me now what happens if depreciation creates a tax loss like what happens if i have ten thousand dollars of of cash flow of income but i have twelve thousand dollars of depreciation so it, it does depend a little bit but basically you're gonna it's gonna write down to zero obviously you're not gonna have any taxable income but now you have a taxable loss so now this depends if you are a passive investor, a non-passive investor. Um, so if you're a passive investor, that loss in this scenario, you had 10,000 of income, 12,000 of depreciation. So you have a loss of $2,000. If you're a passive investor, that $2,000 gets suspended and carried forward until you have any passive income to offset that, or you sell such property and it gets released. Only other way is if you have multiple passive activities, they all get netted together. So if you have a $5,000 passive income on one property, a $2,000 passive loss on the second property, that nets to actually only $3,000 of passive income. 
And in listeners, you're going to be hearing about the passive activity rules throughout the summit. So if that just kind of overwhelmed you, don't worry. Uh, you'll hear about it on the short-term rental piece, uh, on the short-term rental session, and then also on the real estate professional sessions that are upcoming. So we'll do a deeper dive into the passive activity or loss rules. But those rules, those passive activity rules are the most important rules for individual real estate investors and landlords out of the entire tax code. So make sure that you pay attention to that type of stuff because like Troy just mentioned, you can have this $2,000 tax loss and it can either be suspended or it can be used. It really depends on how you execute under the passive activity loss rules. Well, Troy, talk to me about depreciation recapture because everybody always likes to talk about the benefits of depreciation and then they like to skirt over the actual recapture piece. So what is depreciation recapture and, and how does it come about? Sure. So uh, similar, you get your depreciation year one. Um, you depreciate, say it's over 39 years. And so you're at the highest tax bracket, 37%. You're going to get a nice deduction, right? So you're going to get a deduction at 37% because you're lowering your taxable income because of depreciation expense. But say year five. So now year five, you're going to sell such property. If you have a gain on the overall property, you're going to have to recapture that prior depreciation that you took. But what I will say is that there's three different ways to recapture. And I'll explain this in a little more detail. So there's section 1245 recapture, there's section 1250 recapture, and there's unrecaptured section 1250. So this can be very confusing. So I'll take this as slow as possible for everyone to understand. This all comes down to the original way is section 1231 property. So that's what this real estate property is going to fall into. If you have a loss, you have 1231 loss, fine. If you have a gain, some of that gain can be um, basically recharacterized as those three recapture sections that I said. So for, 12, for section 1245 recapture, um, and, and what I should explain, why, the point of this real quick is you get a deduction at that 37%. The reason you're doing this recapture is because this is an investment property. So typically any gain of any investment is at a capital gain rates, 15% or 20% as of right now. The IRS does not like that because you got a deduction potentially at 37%. And now you're getting, you're only recapturing it at, at 15 or 20%. That's a pretty good deal. So the way of them fixing this is doing these, these recapture provisions. So going back, so 1245 recapture, that's your five and seven year property. So what that really is, is typically appliances and furniture. That's what it would be in that five to seven year property category. So say you, you took 100% bonus on that recapture. On that gain, we're going to allocate that gain to 1245 recapture. That recapture is, is actually at ordinary rates. So you're not going to be subject to that capital gain rates at 15, 20% it's going to be subject up to that 37%. So you still got a benefit of the time value of money of getting the depreciation in prior years, but now you're going to have to also recapture at the same tax rate. So I just want to make that, make that uh, known. The same thing happens for section 1250 recapture. That is 15-year property, typically. So that's land improvements, uh, fences, driveways, sidewalks to give you some, some ideas of what, what would be in that 15-year uh, uh, property category. So same thing, that is also going to be recaptured at ordinary rates. So it could be up to that 37% marginal tax rate. The real benefit comes at the end, the unrecaptured section 1250. So what that typically is, is depreciation on that building. So we didn't cost segregate it out. 
that's anything that's 27 and a half years or, um, or um, 39 years or anything that was not above straight line depreciation. Uh, so we'll go, you know, too nerdy of understanding that. But unrecaptured part of it, uh, that is going to be subject to tax at ordinary rates up until the max of 25%. So this could be very lucrative in this scenario. Once you have unrecaptured 1250, you uh, say you had a deduction at 37%, you're only now going to pay tax on the gain up to 25%. So that is a 12% tax swing. This is obviously very, very beneficial that the IRS allows this. Um, so just, just an FYI, that helps with time value of money still, but you also get the 12% swing. So last let's part, talk. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the last part is if, it, if there is no more recapture, the gain is above all these recapture provisions. The last part goes and is going to be taxed at section 1231 gain, capital gain rates, 15, 20%. Okay, so let's do let's walk through two examples and let's do example sure. one first. So let's say that I buy a home for one hundred thousand dollars, and over the hold period I depreciate it all straight line twenty seven and a half years. I depreciate it thirty thousand dollars. I then sell the home for one hundred thousand dollars. So listeners, it's important to understand I bought the home for a hundred thousand, and there's in the market was just flat for the hold period. Maybe it went up and came back down, and now I need to get out of it. So I bought it for 100 and I'm going to sell it for 100, but I depreciated it $30,000 over the hold period. Troy, what do I have gain? And if so, how is that taxed? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's walk through it. So you had $100,000. That's what you received. That's what you sold it for. You bought it for 100,000, but you had the 30K of depreciation. 100 minus 30. So you have $70,000, the basis of your, of your property. So you got 100,000, your basis is 70,000, you have a $30,000 gain. So now how is that taxed? So we can go into that scenario, but in your scenario, you said it was all straight line. So that is gonna be unrecaptured 1250. So that gain, that 30K is gonna be fully recaptured at ordinary rates up to 25%. Got it, okay, very good. So, so it's important to understand that if I take depreciation, I'm going to have to pay that back even if the value of my home has not increased. And again, pay attention as we talk about the passive activity loss rules throughout the various sessions, because if I was never, like if that depreciation created tax losses and I was never able to utilize those tax losses, I can use any suspended tax losses to offset that $30,000 of gain from depreciation. Now, example number two, let's say that I sell that same home for $110,000. So I bought it for 100, depreciated at 30, I'm selling it for 110. What are the various components of gain that I'm gonna have to pay tax on there? Sure, so same scenario. So you, you, you did 30,000 of depreciation. So our net basis, cost basis of our property is 70K, but we sold it for 110. So now we have a $40,000 gain but only 30,000 of it is going to get recaptured because that was our depreciation. The same scenario, that 30K is going to be unrecaptured section 1250 gain tax at ordinary rates up to 25%. The other 10%, that additional 10% of gain is now going to be subject to capital gain rates. So at 15% or 20% tax rate. Very good. Very good. Thank you for explaining that. All right, let's move on to other deductions for landlords. So just in general, what are deductions that I can claim if I buy a rental property? Like what should I be paying attention to and looking out for? Sure. So your, your typical deductions other than depreciation that we just talked about, and I want to just 
real, real quick say depreciation is a use it or lose it. So make sure to always depreciate as a property because uh, you're going you're gonna to need to, if you don't use it, you will lose it in the future. Um, other items, deductions you can have are mortgage interest. So you, you obviously pay debt. Uh, you have debt on such property. That interest is deductible. The principal is not. Uh, that's kind of done through the depreciation side. Uh, so your mortgage interest, you have any insurance, property taxes, those are all deductible. Also, any repairs that you're doing on such property. Certain of those repairs will be done, talked about in a later session of the, of the tax legal summit if it needs to be capitalized or not. But repairs will be uh, allowed as a deduction. If there's a hole in the wall, you have to spackle it. That repair, deductible, simple, easy. Other uh, simple, you know, typical expenses are utilities. Uh, you're going to have property management fees. If you use a property manager, those are all deductible. Any, you know, legal and professional fees that you're paying for, you know, your CPA, uh, for lawyers, uh, for attorneys, for setting things up, uh, the LLCs, et cetera, uh, travel, home offices. We'll get to some of these in a little bit further in further details. What I want to explain, though, is how do you know is, is if, if a deduction is actually allowable? So the easy way of, of understanding it is you can deduct anything that is ordinary and necessary for your business. So that's be a real estate. So what is ordinary and necessary? Anything that is current, what does that mean? So what does current mean? You cannot prepay your property taxes for 10 years. That's not going to be allowed. So obviously, whatever is due within the next year. So just letting you, know, you can't advance deductions in certain scenarios. It has to be actually directly related. I can't deduct personal use uh, on my business just because I paid it through business funds. So I just want to make that make that obviously very known. Uh, and then the last part is just reasonable in amount. So if anything that's outside of fully, that's not reasonable, that's usually going to be disallowed as well. What if, uh, what about the monthly property tax and insurance payments that I pay with my mortgage? Are those deductible? So they typically will go into escrow. So the escrow is not, in, in, it's not deductible at first. Is when truly those tax payments are due. So typically it's very nice service that these mortgage companies hold, you know, they, they accept the escrow amounts for insurance or property taxes or whatever. But then they set, then they subsequently pay the county or local local taxes. At that point in time, that's when it becomes deductible. The amount in escrow essentially will be deductible at a certain point in time, but it will not be deductible until it is actually um, currently due with whatever authority. So, so it'll be deductible when escrow like releases the payment. Basically. Correct. 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 Cool. Um, now. What about like guard dogs and lavish meals? Can I deduct those? Um, guard dogs? No, I've actually never seen that situation before. But no, <laughs> that is typically a personal expense. You're having a pet. You're not going to be having a, a true, there's no ordinary necessary reason for that. An alarm system, on the other hand, that to me is a little bit more of an ordinary necessary expense, not a guard dog. Uh, lavish meals. Why are you having a lavish meal? Is it ordinary and necessary? And that's also reasonable in amount. If I'm taking out, you know, an owner, I mean, of a, a person who's renting a property off for me, a tenant, that he's paying $1,000 a month. If we go for a $20,000 meal, is that really ordinary and necessary? Probably not. That's I want to know where you're getting a $20,000 meal. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm going high. I'm going high. Um Oh yeah, but uh, but I'm just making it very you know yeah. very lavish. But yeah, yeah that clearly is not ordinary and necessary. <laughs> All right, good stuff. What about home offices and cars? And 
you know, I, I always hear people ask like, oh, or they're fearful of the home office deduction because they think that it's mm -hmm. going to create like an audit uh, flag. Uh, so talk to us about the home office deductions and uh, writing off mm -hmm. vehicles. Sure. So home offices and vehicles are, are very uh, great areas that you can kind of plan for, but you want to make sure you plan ahead of time and are well informed in these areas. So home office is really nice, but you need to have now your home office. You have an office. I'm in my home office right now, um, but your home office needs to be used regularly and exclusively for a principal place of business and also regularly and exclusively uh, as a place that you're going to meet and deal with patients, clients, customers in the normal course of business. So if you don't have an area that you do, so if you have a home office, you call it your home office, but you're in there doing personal things. Your kids are using it for school. Um, you know, you're, you have a W-2 job you're using it for as well as your outside business. That is not exclusive to a trader business. So that is not allowable. So I just want to explain that right off the bat. Some people think they have a home office because they do have a desk and a, and a computer in their home, in their home that necessarily doesn't mean that it's truly home office in the eyes of the IRS. So that's, that's the first way of just making sure you're understanding the home office. Um, but it's important to create that because now you have a principal place of business as your home. So your travel to and from real estate, your real estate investments can now be deducted. So I'll go into in the vehicle side in a bit. But going back um, for home office, there's two methods to, to use for home office. You have your safe harbor. Safe harbor is easy. You have $5 per square foot. I have a 100 square foot home office. $5 times 100 is $500 deduction. Other way is, is actual expense method. So going off before, you're going to have, you have depreciation, utilities, insurance, interest, etc. But for your home, if you're home office, you can only allow the deduction for the actual home office, the actual business use. So make it really simple. Say you have a hundred, you have a thousand dollar, a thousand square foot home. A hundred square foot is um, is your home office. That's ten percent. Ten percent of all utilities would be deductible on my home office. Does that make sense? Uh, the last part is also anything that's directly uh, allocable to that space. So that square square footage. So I have a repair in my home office. That's going to be one hundred percent deductible, not subject to the business use requirements. And, uh, and what about vehicles? When can I deduct a car? Yeah, um, so a vehicle is actually very similar to the two methods that we talked about. There's a safe, kind of a safe harbor method or the mileage method or the actual expense method. So from the IRS side, you're gonna want, uh, for the mileage side, sorry, uh, you're gonna wanna do, um, it's gonna be, for 2022, it's 58.5 cents per mile. So you're gonna to wanna to have to have a compliant mileage log. So if you need this for both methods, for the actual expense method and for the mileage. So you wanna figure out what is truly a business mile uh, or a, um, a business mile versus a personal mile. So uh, one simple way or a good way to be compliant is you're gonna need an odometer at the beginning of the year, odometer at the end of the year. That knows how many miles you drove. But then after that, you need to, to put a purpose you know, you have to log showing the purpose of your, of your miles, how many miles, the locations of your trips, and basically proving out why it is truly a business mile. You're going to need this for either method. One way to do this, because this can be burdensome, an administrative burden, help yourself by using, a, you know, tracking apps or an Excel spreadsheet 
Uh, a tracking app is, you know, Mile IQ is a good one that we like to reference. But please use that to help you facilitate and make it make your life easier. Um, but going off those two methods, the mileage is simple. You drive a thousand business miles, you get fifty eight point five percent of all those business miles. Um, what I will say is that where you typically get a bigger benefit is the actual expense method. If you do the actual expense method, that is simply you're going to take also depreciation, your lease payments, gas, interest, repairs, insurance. Uh, but at the same time, you have to figure out what your business use is. So if you use out, out of that scenario, if you only use it for 60% business, out of all those expenses that I just referenced, only 60% is allowed to be deducted. And you're going to have to, if the IRS ever audits you, you're going to have to basically prove. Burden of proof is on the taxpayer. That's why it's very important to have these logs and keep receipts. So you want to be able to prove it easily, provided to the you know, IRS agent, et cetera. Uh, we also like to ask to get our, our taxpayers or our clients prepared in any of these situations. So I just want to make sure, try to be um, regularly doing this so you don't have to retrospectively doing that because the IRS doesn't like that either. Great, great. And if you're wondering, can I write off the cost of a car that I just purchased? Uh, we're not going to dive into that on this session. I think that that's, it requires a pretty detailed explanation. But, uh, but, but just so that I can give you that information at a very high level, if you are a small landlord, the answer is probably no. If you're running a business where you need a vehicle, the answer is probably yes. And that can include um, being a, a larger landlord as well. So make sure you do touch base with your tax advisor if you are thinking about purchasing a vehicle because it can be a pretty lucrative tax deduction. Well, tell me about education expenses. We get this question a lot. Let's say that I'm a, I'm, I'm studying for my real estate agent exam and I've got to buy all these books to study for it. And I'm out 500 bucks or something. Can I deduct this $500 cost? And let's also assume that this is my first foray into real estate. Um, so the short answer is no, because, and, I, and there's a treasure regulation that I won't, I won't quite fully reference, but basically it's all, the education is only deductible when the expenses uh, are, are used to maintain. So that's the key word here, maintain or improve the taxpayer's skills in such trader business. So if you're new to this industry and you're not in to inside the trader business of real estate, those, you know, just like you were saying, the, the books and stuff for real estate uh, exam, you're not in the real estate and you're not really maintaining your, your skills because you're not inside the real estate business yet and you're not improving it. Maybe you're improving to get into it, but you need to actually be in the trader business. So that's not deductible. But going off that, if you have an existing trader business and you're taking a real estate course, just like you are paying for the tax and legal summit. That course, if you have, you know, 10 rental properties, you are now utilizing, you're, you're taking this course to maintain and improve your skills. That is allowed and that is deductible. Perfect. Perfect. So the tax and legal summit fees, if you purchase the VIP uh, tickets or the recordings, can potentially be deductible if you're already in a trader business related to real estate. And in a trader business, is being a landlord, as long as you own your own properties. If you're just investing passively in LP deals, there's a good argument to be made that you're actually not in the trader business of real estate. So just be careful with that. Now, uh, if I'm a landlord and, and I'm listening to everything you just said, I'm just like, whoa, man, that's a lot of information. Where can I go 
to remind myself very quickly and easily what expenses are allowable, at least at a high level. Is there a particular form that I could look up that would just list it all out for me? Uh, the easiest way is, yeah, just going right to the tax forms. And that's going to kind of explain kind of what typical expenses there are, uh, at least what the IRS has already deemed or, or are actually segregated out on a form. So from an entity side, the partnership, S-Corp, et cetera, you're going to go to form 8825. That's where it's going to be reported on the tax side. Um, if you are going to report on your individual returns or your 1040, you're going to go to your Schedule E. That's where you're going to put rental properties. And that's where you can basically look and see kind of the items that the IRS has already deemed appropriate or, or, or give you some ideas of what are proper expenses there could be for such real estate. And, and you can Google these forms too. So you can literally type in IRS Schedule E or IRS 8825, and it'll take you right to those forms. And then on the left-hand side, it's going to show you all the kind of basic expenses, you know, that you should be tracking, um, which, uh, which I think is a really good, just quick and easy reminder. Where do I report flipping activities? Yeah, good question. We get this question quite often. So flips, I like to just explain what that is. You have to think about flips is really almost like you're manufacturing, usually obviously rehabbing and, and flipping such, such property. It's really like you're almost manufacturing or improving something and selling it. So it's really inventory. So just like you would be creating widgets or anything else you manufacture, you're creating it, it's your inventory until you sell it. So that is really more of a trader business, not necessarily a real estate investor or, or a rental property, of course. So that's going to be reported um, if it's uh, it's in a business, a partnership, or escort. It's going to be on page one. So that's really your ordinary income. Uh, if it's on a um, individual returns, so you're on your 1040. You're going to report it on Schedule C. Okay, and so let's say more, yeah. and let's say that I buy a flip at the end of 2021. So December 2021. I spent $100,000 acquiring a property and improving it. And then I sell it in March of 2022. When do I get to deduct the $100,000 against my income? You're going to deduct, so it all goes off of the tax year. Tax years are typically your calendar year. So you bought it in 2021, but you sold it in 2022. Just like if you manufactured something, it gets stuck in the inventory at the end of 2021. So it's not deductible in 2021. You can deduct it when you sell it in 2022. Makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, and, and we have actually seen quite a few instances where people will deduct the $100,000, even though they still own the property going into the next tax year. So you got to be really careful with that. All right. Um, if, if a real estate investor wants to maximize all this, so they're hearing everything, they're like, okay, what do I need to do? to position myself to take advantage of all of these potential deductions. What's your recommendation? Well, since you're listening to us speak right now, that is the first step uh, right off the bat. So plan early, uh, get ahead of the game, be informed. That's the easiest way to, to start, right? So uh, plan early, be informed, get good accounting and bookkeeping systems in place. Uh, if you're you know, buying your first few properties, you wanna make sure you get that in place early. If you already have 12 properties, it's hard to go back and retrospectively change it all. So try to plan early and get ahead of the game. Same thing, get, keep receipts. Be very organized. Be very um, on top of all, all the receipts that you're, that you're going off. Same thing with logs. We talked about mileage logs. If you want to be a real estate professional, make sure you have your logs in order. Um, so those are main things that you want to make sure to do. I would say the last thing to do is get 
great advisors. So that's why you're also speaking with us. Reach out, get a great CPA, get a great attorney. They will lead you in the right directions. They will give you the right information, the right advising uh, to help you uh, maximize all these deductions. All right, Troy, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to everybody today. Where can people find you? Um, sure. So you can reach out to our website at contact, um, uh, you know, at Real Estate CPA. You can reach out to me directly. So Troy.Silfies, Silfies, S-I-L-F-I-E-S, at HallCPALLC.com. Reach out to me directly. Or you can always look me up on LinkedIn or, and message me on there. Um, I welcome everyone to, if you have any specific questions, please reach out. Awesome. You dropped a, a ton of knowledge today. Thank you so much for coming. And if, folks, if you enjoyed this session, you can purchase all of the session recordings at recordings.taxandlegalsummit.com. Hey, everyone. In case you missed it during the intro, we have a special announcement to make. Over the last year, we've been building the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor brand and believe it aligns with the purpose of the show and the audience we're trying to serve. So for those reasons, we're going to be rebranding the show on Friday, March 11th, and you will see the podcast appear in your feed as the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor podcast. Thanks again for being a loyal listener of the show. And we look forward to continuing to serve you. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.